Hello, and thanks for listening to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, Editor-in-Chief. Federal election is Monday, and unless there is a radical shift in what the polls suggest, we're going to have a minority government of either liberal or conservative stripe in charge. To get a last look at this campaign, I turn now to Mario Canseco, the president of Research Co., which is a public research firm here in Vancouver. He writes twice weekly for us, uh, for our chain of publications at Glacier Media. Good to have you with us again. Great to be here. Let's, uh, let's first look, Mario, at what Canadians were seeking at the outset of this campaign and how satisfied you think they'd be at the end of it. Well, I think there was an expectation of a much broader debate on issues that we didn't really see. I think we saw a lot of concentration on the issues of the day, uh, whether it was Justin Trudeau's brownface, blackface controversy, the situation related to Andrew Shear's nationality. We didn't really spend a lot of time talking about the issues that matter to many voters, specifically urban voters. We yeah. barely spoke about transportation, barely spoke about the opioid crisis. Housing. Housing also, which is the number one issue here in British Columbia, of right. course. So it's one of those elections where it becomes a contest of the leaders. It's uh, something that is more related to character and to the way you feel about specific people than to issues. And I think that is one of the reasons why we find ourselves in this deadlock. It was supposed to be. Uh, it was It was headlined and previewed as being an ugly, nasty, uh, really vicious campaign. Um, did Canadians really get that? Or did, or did they get kind of a, you know, more velvet glove kind of uh, fight here? Well, I think part of the problem is you do have uh, that 30% of the electorate that is always going to be partisan no matter what, choosing either the Liberals or the Tories. Uh, and that group is more likely to be dissatisfied with the performance of the others. They're the ones who are upset because somebody who is a federal conservative said something that a federal liberal didn't like, vice versa. I think there was an opportunity for other parties to connect. I think Jack Singh did very well, particularly on, on his ratings when it mm-hmm. comes to the way Canadians feel about him. Uh, is that going to be enough to bring them really high and, and essentially turn this into a three-way race in the final weekend? Probably not, but it's definitely a better situation that were, than where it started. And in a way, it echoes what happened to Justin Trudeau back in 2015. Nobody expected anything out of him, and he ended up winning. I want to take a look at individually at the leaders here in a sec, but uh, but I want to keep with this this idea about the ugliness of the campaign. It I think for about four consecutive campaigns now, everybody said, well, you know, this will be the campaign where social media really matters in the campaign. And and yet, again, the major stories that would be in that characteristic of, of an ugliness were, were largely put forward by conventional media, by, by so-called legacy media. Yes. Did, did social media matter in this campaign, do you think? Not as much as, as many people expected. I think what was interesting about social media was having that preview based on innuendo, based on rumor, not on fact, not on anything that was going to be remotely interesting for somebody who was deciding who to vote for. But then in a very strange fashion, waiting for the regular media, so to speak, to break the story. Mm-hmm. You know, so we know some information, there's some information about Justin Trudeau doing something or Jack Mead Singh doing something or Andrew Scheer being something. Uh, but wait till the media covers it before social media does it for you. And that ultimately created this panic uh, for a lot of voters who said, you know, I don't want to go online anymore because, you know, 41% of the stories I find are false. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, this was, though, a campaign, I thought, where the so called fake news stuff was largely cleansed and kept from the system, right? We we weren't 
we weren't, you know, invaded by a raft of false stories. No, and I was expecting something like that to happen, particularly when it came to issues such as immigration. And and you mm-hmm. did have some memes, you did have some people who were trying to get attention for the wrong reasons. And, and I think in that sense, it wasn't a situation where the social media policed itself well. I think it's a situation where Canadians police themselves accordingly. Okay, so let's look now at the leaders, because if whether we like it or not, we tend to have leader-focused campaigns in Canada. This one particularly. Yeah. And let's let's take a look at how the four main leaders entered and completed their campaigns. Let's start, of course, with Justin Trudeau. I mean, he, he came into this campaign, I think people thought, perhaps a little hobbled by SNC-Lavalin. It didn't really <laughs> didn't become much of an issue at all. Of course, then he, he ran into... Uh, you know his old photographic past um, <laughs> that that uh, that caused some trouble. Why didn't a lot of this stick to him? Do you think? Well, I think there's a couple of issues. One of them is <clears throat> the liberal support in Ontario wasn't really dented over the course of the first three weeks of the campaign, and I think that cer- certainly led to the idea that Fortress Ontario, the same way it happened with Jean Chrétien, was going to stay there no matter what. So it becomes a, more a role of, you know, let's save some seats elsewhere, maybe Atlantic Canada, maybe BC. Um, he's not particularly disliked. I know that the numbers for somebody who's new to this might seem terrible, but we've had prime ministers with higher disapproval ratings than what yeah. Justin Trudeau has right now. Sure. So, and I think this odious comparison about, you know, he's got a lower rating than Trump. Well, of course he does. We're running in a six-party system. It's completely different uh, to look at it that way. Uh, but I think there was an, an, an expectation for many residents that if you dislike him, then you're going to vote him out. And you have to remind them that this isn't the United States. It doesn't work that way. That being said, it's it's apparent now that he can never really be the leader that he would wish Canadians to think of him as, right? Well, I think it's almost uh, very similar to what happened to his father. You know, the 1972 election, it's a minority. You have to work with the NDP. Those 18 months, we don't see the flashy Trudeau showing up at places with the best suits and the best ties. That came back in 74 when they got a new majority. So maybe this is just a step in... in, uh, it'll be a little bit different for him, especially if he ends up forming the next government with the help of the NDP. I don't think, I think he'll be a more subdued version and certainly not do all of those crazy things that he did in in his first term, particularly on the foreign stage. Okay, but but Elder Trudeau had history to make. He wanted to repatriate the constitution. He wanted to create a charter of rights and freedoms. Is there anything in Justin Trudeau's repertoire that you see at this point uh, emerging that would suggest that he has history to make on his own? Uh, the two grandiose ideas, uh, one is very difficult to attain, which is ultimately uh, the environmental stewardship. That mm-hmm. is not going to be enough to please the Greens or the NDP, and it's going to really make voters of the federal conservatives upset. And the other bold idea would be electoral reform, which was abandoned. Yeah, you know, there, there's nothing right now that we can point to in the first four years and say, you know, this was something that was accomplished by this parliament. And I think that's definitely problematic. And it's one of the reasons for many Canadians to say, what did we get out of this? Right. Uh, again, entering the campaign, a number of people were speculating that this was Andrew Shear's campaign to lose in a certain sense, that the, it wasn't that he was a shoe in. But that really the, the the situation with the liberals, and particularly when when the blackface brownface episodes emerged, made it very likely that he could then um, keep 
generating support for his party. Why didn't that happen, do you think? I think he found it difficult to connect with voters. And, you know, part of this uh, has to do with his own style. He's not somebody who is particularly uh, flashy, uh, which is probably what Canadians were looking for. And maybe one of the reasons why Jagmeet Singh did so well. Uh, There was no emotional connection with the voter. It was ultimately a process of trying to rekindle with voters who chose the Conservatives in 2011 and who decided not to do so in 2015. So that brings a few writings in BC at play, probably some in the Maritimes. Uh, but it's not enough to close the deal. It's a situation where the level of disapproval for the sitting prime minister uh, is not uh, in direct correlation with looking at somebody as the next prime minister. And I think that was part of the problem here. Running the campaign basically on ethics for the first two, three weeks uh, is mentally draining, but it's not going to move a lot of people towards you. It's almost like uh, John Kerry back in 2004. Be upset at George W. Bush. I am, but you're not getting more voters into your column. Yeah, It seemed to me as well that the shadow of Stephen Harper continued to be cast on Andrew Scheer, that, that, uh, and, and particularly the concerns that were raised, and they were fairly ugly concerns in his case, about his social agenda. He didn't appear to be able to shake that off the way that, say, Justin Trudeau was able to shake off some things that were, I think, of pretty big significance too. Well, I think what makes this different uh, than other elections is that now you have a party further right of the conservatives. And yeah. I think there was a, a a worry for many conservatives that if they didn't address the social issues, even even slightly, uh, they would have a lot of voters looking into the, the uh, PPC as an option to support. Uh, it's not happening. You know, we still see them at around two, three percent. They haven't really climbed the charts. It's not going to be a an easy night if you ran for the a People's Party of Canada. Um, but I think there was that worry that if, if we somehow turn ourselves into a, a red Tory party, uh, we're going to lose all of the social conservatives to another party that is further right to us. Certainly the the surprise factor in this campaign, most would say, uh, involved Jagmeet Singh. He entered this campaign, I think, with about the lowest possible expectations. In fact, he was kind of like dead leader walking. And when he when he started the campaign, so what has he accomplished here? For apart from perhaps saving his job, what what do you think he's accomplished? Well, I think it depends on how well they do as far as seats are concerned. Uh, you don't want a situation where he's still the best like leader. Everybody wants to to be happy, and they look at him as somebody who is inspiring. But if you don't get those votes behind the NDP, then it's going to be very difficult to maintain that momentum. We're heading into a minority scenario, so it's going to be tough for the NDP to say we need to change the leader because we could have an election again in six or seven months. Jack Layton benefited from that, uh, but he ended up getting his best results in, in the third election that he ran. So I don't know if the NDP is going to be that patient. You know, can you sustain this type of momentum? And we ultimately need to see what the minority coalition, if there is one, um, does. Is it going to be something uh, where the NDP will have uh, maybe some ministries? Is it going to be just a matter of voting like it is here in BC? Um, He did very well with low expectations. uh, But it's also problematic in the sense that most of the growth of the NDP is coming out of places that are not where they hold seats. So that could be tricky. You could be at 20, 21 percent maybe on election night and not get as many seats as you expect because you're losing many of those seats in Quebec where you're in single digits. Might he be the, uh, apart from Justin Trudeau, the only leader who survives with fewer seats than what he entered the campaign with? Uh, I would say that would be the case. You know, depends really on the situation uh, of, you know, how stable the next government is. You know, it, it, I, I don't think any either of the two major parties wants to 
give the other one a year and a half to get ready and have this large convention and try to talk to people about what is happening because you could be doing this again soon. Uh, there would be a justification uh, if you get more seats, but looking at the numbers as they stand, uh, the two parties might actually get fewer votes than in the last election. So you could argue that neither of them connected very well with the electorate. I'm still puzzled on whether Jagmeet Singh can actually be a partner of Justin Trudeau. Man, there's this little thing called a pipeline. Yes. I mean, that would be one of the greatest swallowing exercises in the history of Canadian politics if Jagmeet Singh can do that. Do you, do you think he can do that? I think it would be very detrimental for the status of the party here, yeah. particularly when it comes to the provincial party that has been fighting this extensively. Uh, it would be a very complicated scenario, and it would be tough to explain this. If you say to people, well, uh, our collaboration between the NDP and the Liberals gave us pharmacare, well, that was already on the Liberal platform. Or, you know, dental care for everybody, okay, well, maybe that's something that we can play with. Or a commitment to real electoral reform, uh, but, you know, if it is the pipeline, it's going to be complex, because now you see a lot of people who maybe looked at the Greens as an option, and are saying, well, the NDP is doing better. Maybe I should vote for the NDP and they will keep the liberals accountable on the stuff I care about. Yeah. You care about the environment. You say yes to the pipeline. There's going to be a problem. On a smaller scale, our mayor uh, put out a press release this week, uh, misspelled <laughs> Andrew Shear's name all the way through <laughs> it. Uh, you know, we'll excuse that uh, way. Although autospell does does uh, spell Shear correctly. You know, it's a, <laughs> it wasn't an autospell issue. It was a, It was a personal spell issue. Uh, but there's a guy who gave up, who, who walked away from his seat in Burnaby. It became Jagmeet Singh's seat. How how do you reconcile something like the relationship with, with the city of Vancouver when you've decided that you're going to support a party or you're going to prop up a party that has this pipeline coming in to neighboring Burnaby? Well, I think that is going to be one of the major challenges here, because we see a situation where the mayor of Vancouver is essentially asking voters not to support a party, and because anything that happens without that party is going to be good for the city. Uh, that includes the pipeline. He was arrested for it, mm -hmm. next to Elizabeth May. And that includes transportation, which is something that the conservatives seem to be only interested in when it comes to Toronto. So after this happens, there's got to be that phone call and there's got to be that moment where you say, okay, we kind of helped you out here yeah. to you know, steer clear from a conservative government. What are you going to do for our city? And if that includes a pipeline, we're going to be in a very, very big mess. Yeah, I think the phone call starts with a, you're doing what? <laughs> that type of thing. Um, let's talk about Elizabeth May. Uh, she's now uh, been the leader of this party for 13 years. And what I wonder about is how much longer she really wants to keep kind of getting up every day and and fighting the fight. Uh, is it time, do you think, after this campaign, presuming, of course, that they might win another seat or two, uh, possibly on Vancouver Island, is it time for her now to kind of walk away and and hand over the reins? Because it it always is the case that Greens do pretty well between elections. And when it comes to vote day, um, there's a revert. You know, re reversion to Maine, as they say. Uh, what What do you think she does? 
Well, especially because of this uh, type of year we've had. You know, we've never had discussions about the environment at the level that we have them now, about the future of Canada's natural resource industry, mm -hmm. uh, Greta Thunberg visiting Canada. Like we have everything in place for the Greens to be at 15 or 17 percent, and they're not. So that's a problem. It also has a lot to do with the strategy that they're uh, having in, in running nationwide, even in places where they don't really need a candidate. You've had Green candidates who don't show up for debates. Uh, it's one of those situations where if you're only going to be a party on paper, it might be worth your while to try to think about ways to work with other parties, maybe as part of a merger. I mean, just a few years ago, we were talking about maybe the NDP and the Liberals should merge. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There might be more that, than you, that unites the Greens and the Liberals and the Greens and the NDP than what separates them, uh, especially if we wind up in a situation where the Conservatives form the government. I mean, you, you, it's time to look in the mirror in the same way that the Canadian Alliance and the PC party did and say, you know, it's, there's more that, that unites us than, than the stuff that essentially tears us apart. Um, otherwise, we're not going to form the government again, and we want to have these ideas out there. I want to talk about two other leaders in our country. Uh, one, I thought, semi-silent. The other one, <laughs> mute. Jason Kenney and Doug Ford were supposed to be factors in this campaign. Uh, first of all, is has anybody heard from Doug Ford lately? No, no I, like he's been hiding, like up in the northern parts of the of the province, uh, sticking to himself. Jason Kenney as well did a little bit of work, but was not again the campaigning ferocious factor that some expected. What what happened there? What what do you think the what, what did the Conservative Brain Trust ask them to do? <laughs> well, I think this reminds me of um, what happened here with the, with the referendum on whether we should have a, a different voting system. Uh, you know, you had the NDP showing up and talking the talk, but not really fighting for it. Uh, because it wasn't something that was seen as uh, as good for them. You know, you, you do what you have to do. You show up for things. You have a couple of meetings. You have a couple of debates. You shake hands and that's it. But when you're really, really fighting for it, you behave differently. And I think this is the situation here. I think uh, Jason Kenney is waiting for something else. Maybe after Andrew Scheer decides that it's time to go or not to be the leader of the Conservatives anymore. Or, you know, this is interesting. We had stories in the media where conservative sources were quoted as saying, we're getting ready for a post-Andrew Scheer conservative party. Right. This Peter, is when the parties are Peter, tied. Peter McKay. Yeah. So I think yeah. there was an expectation that two weeks before the election will be at 40% and everything will be fine. And when the race got tight, you started to see Jason Kenney sort of only sending a few tweets here and talking about Trudeau. He's getting ready for something that does not entail Andrew Scheer. But it is possible that Monday night, um, once everything is counted, that Andrew Scheer finds himself in an interesting position uh, with perhaps the most elected MPs. Perhaps. Perhaps. Right? Yeah. Perhaps. Uh, does he really turn to the Bloc Québécois for satisfying support? I don't think he can. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Uh, I don't think it's going to be palatable for many Canadians. And, you know, we're asking about this on our exit poll. I want to know what type of agreement is going to be okay for, for residents. It's something that I asked here in British Columbia, and most people said, I'm okay with an NDP government propped up by the Greens. Uh, the other combinations weren't that palatable. Uh, but, you know, the, the, in the 2011 debate, uh, Stephen Harper said that the reason for the coalition not to work was that they couldn't get in bed with a party that's, that was founded... Uh, on the principle of breaking up the country. <laughs> the principle of breaking yeah. up the country. So... 
I don't think you can have a situation where you'll say, well, you know, we, we, we respect you and it's okay and, and we'll do a few things for Quebec. Um, that is the essence of the problem that led to the progressive conservatives getting two seats in 1993. So be careful what you wish for. You could be arguing that everything is going to be fine, but the Alberta voter that is right now very conservative is not going to look kindly on a situation where the separatist party out of Quebec is propping the sheer government. Are conservatives, though, um, hungry enough to resume power that they might essentially say, let's play this one out for as long as we can. Let's see what it is. As opposed to having the most seats of any party in the House of Commons, but sitting in opposition. Uh, you know, how do you think that goes? Well, I think it, it definitely plays into uh, the way in which the leader was elected. And I, I would go back to that. You know, It wasn't a party that emerged out of that convention united, uh, so much so that the number two finisher decided to phone his own party. So, you know, I think it's more about finding that unity towards the whole con uh, con conservative movement in Canada. Uh, we have a situation now where many of the premiers are conservative, but we don't have that level of unity when it comes to the federal party, partly because of the way in which they decided to choose their leader. Conventions worked very well, and we rarely had a situation where the leaders were toppled because that is the way things worked in this country. Uh, when you go to ranked ballots... You get everybody's second, third, fourth, or fifth choice. It doesn't go well after that. Uh, we have examples here in BC with the Liberal Party. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask, did you think Barack Obama's endorsement of Justin Trudeau was unusual? I thought it was. I thought it was particularly because it's not a situation where former presidents get involved in the Canadian campaigns. Uh, I think, you know, part of me thinks that they were trying to goad Donald Trump to say something about Andrew Scheer. Uh, because we know how he likes to tweet, uh, but he's too busy right now with other issues concerning Ukraine and and, and nobody's popped him a question though. I, I've been waiting, you know, at, at any of these uh, press availabilities for someone to say, "Who do you think should win the Canadian election?" Because I, <laughs> somebody should cause ask because I, I I think that he would actually say Justin Trudeau. I think so too. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where what's interesting about Obama. Uh, and, you know, you, you meet a lot of people who volunteer on, on specific uh, campaigns and, and they like to go to the United States. I know people from all political stripes who volunteer in the Obama campaigns in 2008 and 2012. And, and many of them were NDPers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to have somebody like Obama say, this is what we need, it sort of shakes the ground a little bit. You know, this is somebody who I knocked doors on for. You know, this is somebody I went to Washington or Indiana to help out. Uh, I think it really rattled a lot of the NDPers. Will it have an effect on the election? I don't think so. Barack Obama yeah. was definitely well-liked. Yeah. Uh, and the comparisons with Trump are astonishing. Uh, but it's not a situation where, because he said so, um, this is what happened. We're asking that question. It'll be fun to see what the Canadians tell us. Um, lastly, uh, we are a business publication. And uh, it was, uh, there were times where we talked about uh, the economy, particularly about taxes how people are going to be taxed in the next time. But it is very likely because of trade uncertainty and just the fact that we've had this long stretch of, uh, of some kind of economic growth that we're bound to face some kind of downturn in the economy. I didn't get any impression at all. First of all, nobody wanted to talk about that as a leader. You know, you don't want to say, can't wait to govern the country in an economic downturn. <laughs> uh, get ready, Canadians. But I didn't get any sense about how either Justin Trudeau or Andrew Scheer would guide the country in, uh, in, in more difficult straits. Did you pick up on anything? 
that that suggests where we might go in all of this if we wind up <laughs> wind up in a bit of a problem situation? Well, there is an issue where they're almost tied all the time, and it's economic management. Uh, people believe that Justin Trudeau and Andrew Scheer uh, would be roughly the same at creating jobs, at handling finances. Uh, it's different on the foreign policy front, where Justin Trudeau has uh, a large lead over Andrew Scheer. But this is different. It's, it's, a, very com- it's a very complex matter, particularly uh, when you look back at the 1973 oil crisis, which happens in the middle of a minority parliament. Uh, so we might be headed into a situation where if nobody is controlling everything and you have to run everything by all of the House of Commons, um, it could be a little bit easier for them to try to make decisions. I think part of the situation that they're facing now is uh, everything is fine. No, unemployment isn't at a level that is mm-hmm. particularly difficult. You know, this isn't going to be a change election like the one in 93, for instance, where everybody was upset and they were just looking at the vehicle that would propel them to victory. Um, it's different this time around um, because the situation is not as dire. I mean, we have those signals that something is coming in the next couple of years, maybe sooner, uh, but it's not here yet. Uh, difficult from 2008 when it was already here, when we were choosing who we, who we were going to vote for. Your numbers uh, do suggest uh, still a liberal minority government of some sort. Is that what you think you're going to have in the way of last minute numbers say Sunday? Well, there's a couple of things that are crucial uh, looking into the numbers that we're going to be polishing on, on, on Sunday. Uh, the level of, um, of animosity from the NDP voter to the idea of the liberals governing. I think that is going to be key because that is the fluctuation that is going to enable us to say whether the liberals are going to win or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have an NDP voter that is making up their mind, that might change their mind before Monday, uh, that is sort of soft on the support and who might end up voting strategically. So that's one of the issues. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, where is the conservative vote going to go? Uh, if we have the conservatives, let's say, a 33%, but 65% of that vote is coming from Alberta, then you have a problem because you're not going to be able to win those seats. Uh, it's ultimately about the solidity of the support for the parties. And when we last asked, uh, the one party that was sort of wobbling, as always is the case, was the Greens. You had half of the Green voters who said, yeah, maybe I will, maybe I won't. If this turns out to be a situation where the NDP vote is solid, which is what we saw back in 2011 with Jack Layton, then we could be headed for a very difficult night for the Liberals. But if the NDP voter is sort of waffling, heads to the heads to 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 vote, and then decides that they're more uh, worried about Sheer becoming prime minister, uh, we're going to get back to a situation where Singh is the has the highest rating, uh, but is not going to get all the votes that, that should necessarily come with it. Well. Of course, Monday, Monday ought to be a fabulous day for us to look at all of this. Mario, good talking to you. We'll catch up with you next week, I hope. Definitely. Thank you. Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co., public, uh, relig- a public uh, research firm here based in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe. Thanks a lot for listening to BIV today. We'll see you next time.